All right, well, I want to talk to us this morning about covenant responsibilities. We're going to be in the book of Amos, and it may take you a minute to find that, so I'm going to come to Amos in just a minute. But I think what we're talking about this morning connects very well to what's, what's happened in Ruth. If you haven't been with us the last few Sundays, Landon has been going through the book of Ruth. And we've talked a lot about Boaz. Landon said he had a little bit of a man crush on Boaz. We won't hold that against him. But Boaz seemed like, seems like a pretty good guy. Boaz, in the end, is willing to be Ruth's redeemer. And that word, we often use it in the context of Christ and his own redeeming work in our lives. But Boaz is able to redeem Ruth. She's a Moabite who comes into the land of Israel. Her husband has died. She's a foreigner. And she needs a man to take care of her. And so Boaz, being a good man, being a faithful man is what the text tells us, that he's also a man of God, he's willing to redeem Ruth. And so I want us to look for just a second about, uh, at Boaz and how he keeps the covenant responsibilities of, uh, that Israel has been charged with. If we look in chapter 2 of Ruth, it says in chapter 2, that Ruth comes to, she comes to Boaz's field. She's gleaning in Boaz's field when Boaz walks up. It says he, he came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, this is verse 4, the Lord be with you. And the Lord answered, uh, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Now let me just ask you a question as we get started. How many of you, when you go home today, if someone is in your garage or your storage facility, all of us probably have some place that we store all our stuff that's left over, how many of you are going to, if someone's somehow gotten into that place and they're just kind of going through your things and picking up what they need, how many are you going to say, the Lord bless you, I hope you find what you need? Is anybody going to say that? Probably not, right? Probably not. But Boaz was eager to keep the heart of the law. And the reason that we know this is because if we go to Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, I'll read this to you. It says, Whenever you reap your harvest in your field and leave some unraked grain there, you must not return to get it. It should go to the resident foreigner. What is Ruth? A foreigner. The orphan and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless all the work that you do. And so not only is Boaz willing to leave the grain left over for the foreigner, but he also, when he sees them reaping from his own field, he says, the Lord bless you. I hope that the Lord provides for you. Now there's more to Boaz. In verse 14 of the same chapter, it says that at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had, left some, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it to her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Now, this might have been because Boaz thought she was hot. We don't, we're not sure about that. He may have had an ulterior motive. But in the beginning, he didn't even know Ruth was there. When he said, the Lord bless you to these people, he hadn't checked out Ruth yet. It was after that that he checked out Ruth. So regardless, Boaz is a generous man. Boaz is leaving this in his field, and he's generous to those who are coming and taking from his own stuff. He's keeping the law of Israel that God has charged to his people. Now, part of that law was a covenant that God had brought his people into. That covenant was very simple. It was, hey, I've chosen you, my people. You obey me, and what's God going to do? 
Bless them. Bless them. It's very simple. You obey me. I bless you. This is the agreement. God initiated a covenant with his people, and he said, obey me and I'll bless you. It's very simple. And Boaz was a faithful man. But as Landon has reminded us many times, was, was uh, Boaz a normal kind of guy in his time? Was he? No, he wasn't. The end of Judges actually says, in those days Israel had no king. Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And so what Ruth is doing, the picture of Ruth, is giving us just a very zoomed-in picture of Israel during this time, that even in the midst of much evil, when things looked very grim, there was a man, there were a group of people who were faithful. They were faithful to Yahweh, who kept his covenant. But as we go to Amos, which is not very long after Ruth, we see that things are very different. As we look in Amos, we see that that it gives us a zoomed out picture. (laughs) If Ruth is a zoomed in picture of a faithful man during grim times, Amos gives us the big picture of what's going on in Israel. Now, it wasn't long after Ruth that God introduced prophets to the people of Israel. And prophets, to look at what they did, they were kind of like covenant watchdogs. Okay, So they walked around, and when people were disobeying the covenant, when Israel as a whole was not keeping the covenant of God, which was, obey me, and I will bless you. It was very simple. But when Israel was not keeping the covenant, but they were very for long periods of time disobeying the covenant, the prophets would come in, God would send these men, and they would say, return to me. This was their basic message. But the prophets were also a little bit rash sometimes. Okay, They said some things for shock effect. And so you're going to see that in Amos. He, he calls some folks the cows of Bashan. He calls the women that. And you just can't go through Amos without reading that passage. So we're definitely going to hit on that a little bit. But Isaiah too. I mean, he was the most, one of the most revealing. I mean, he walked around naked for, for in front of Israel and said, your nakedness is going to be shown by all the nations. They're going to come in. They're going to destroy you. And even though you're supposed to be a people who worship Yahweh, the nations are going to show that you're not obedient to Yahweh. You don't love Yahweh. You're not a strong people. And so the, the prophets often spoke for shock effect. I remember in college I had a professor who would use this method. He would grade our papers and he would write cuss words on there. And you didn't do the, so make the same mistake twice. I mean, there was no guess about, I don't know what he's thinking. I'm not sure what he means by this. I mean, it was very clear. Katie grades my paper, kind of reviews my papers, and she hasn't started doing that, which I'm thankful. But I do make the same mistakes twice with that method. So anyway, hope, pray that she doesn't start doing that. But the point is that the prophets were very rash. They were always very clear. And Amos is going to be very clear about Israel and what they're doing and what God thinks about it. And so I'm going to need your help this morning as we begin. We're going to begin in chapter 1. We're going to kind of be all over the place, but I think it's important for us to see the picture. I've got the youth to help me out a little bit. I I prepared them this morning, but Amos is going through, he begins chapter 1 with a series of oracles against other nations. These other nations are ones outside of Israel that Israel would look out and say, man, those people, they don't know God. They are absolutely godless. They're mean to other people. They worship pagan gods. They don't know Yahweh, and they deserve God's judgment. So it's like Amos asked Israel, hey, Israel, you want the good news or the bad news first? And Israel responded, well, definitely, we want the good news first. Well, the good news is all these other nations are going to be destroyed. And so for a while, uh, Amos has Israel thinking, man, we like this prophet. He tells us what we want to hear. 
And so as we begin, all these oracles start with, for three transgressions, and in verse 3 it says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because, it says, they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron, these types of things. And so it goes into detail about what these nations have done wrong. But what I want you to do with me is we want to start a little chant, okay? And that chant's going to, when I say because, I want you to say, they deserve God's judgment. So I say because, and you say, they deserve God's judgment. Very good. Okay, we'll start in verse 3. It says, thus says the Lord, well, we went that, let's do verse 6, sorry. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because, very good. And then verse 9, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because, very good, all right. Well, let's think about modern day. What are these nations like? Well, if we mentioned Hitler and the Nazi regime. It's as if Amos is talking about these types of nations. If we mention the Taliban, what would you say? They deserve God's judgment. All right. If we mention dictator communist nations like North Korea, what would you say? All right. These are the types of nations we're talking about here. In verse 4 of chapter 2, it gets interesting. Because Amos mentions Judah. Now, who was Judah? Were they God's people? Yeah, they were. It's interesting. But Israel, they were split from Judah at this time, so they would have been pretty happy about this, too. It says, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they deserve God's judgment. All right. So Israel, they like Amos. He's a good prophet. He tells us what we want to hear. But then the surprise comes in. The bad news, Israel, and the bad news is going to make the good news not even count anymore. It doesn't even matter. It says in verse 6, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So Amos comes against Israel. Israel was thinking, we're God's people. He's never going to get to us. We're keeping our worship practices. We're doing everything we're supposed to do. He's not, why would God judge us? Israel was excited about all these other nations getting judged. And just like us, when I say North Korea, when I say the Taliban, we say they deserve God's judgment. But what if I said America? Ooh, that hits hard, doesn't it? Mm. But what if I said the church? You see, on some levels... It's the church who stands by when these things that were happening in Israel also happen. People are oppressed. We could mention things like abortion, which are on a large scale, and it's hard for us to understand how we do anything about that, but in some sense, we don't even think about it that often. And in that sense, we're not doing anything about it. And I understand that the church, in a sense, is justified by God's grace, and so we are absent from God's judgment. We receive His grace. But sometimes, like in this situation, God's judgment 
would just be the consequences of their own actions. The consequences of Israel's actions was an unstable nation. They no longer worshipped Yahweh. They were no longer strong nation. And so the nations from the outside were able to come in and destroy them. And so while we may receive God's grace in the end, if we don't act and we aren't faithful people, things on this earth will not go well with us. And so the God's judgment could just be the consequences of our lack of action, of our unfaithfulness. So we want to mention there are two main sins here that God has described. And we're going to get into these. The first major sin was prosperity without justice. And if we look at verses 2, 6 through 7, these are, these are very clear. It says they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample the head of the poor into the dust and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that the holy name is profaned. But also in verse 8, they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of wine, in the house of God, they drink wine of those who have been fined. Now, this is as if these baskets here, which they haven't been, these baskets are made by women in Rwanda, and it helps restore their dignity. It helps to provide for them. But it would be as if these baskets that we use in our worship service were made by slaves. That's what Israel's doing. I mean, it's just a natural incorporation of their culture. They're using these things that are made by people who are being oppressed, and they're putting it in their worship. Now, Sometimes we don't understand God's justice exactly. We understand justice as people getting what they deserve, right? But God's justice in the Old Testament is clearly rooted in love for others and in human dignity. This is clear because in the law, every seven years, their, their fields were not to be planted. And the poor could come through and they could gather their stuff. They could gather food for themselves. This is clear from what Boaz did. He left stuff in his field for other people to gather. It was also the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, if people had come on hard times and they had to sell their land, every 50 years, it was restored back to them. Justice was rooted in love for others and in their own personal dignity, the dignity of every human life. <clears throat> now, what's implicit in the Old Testament, it's not really that clear, but it becomes explicit in the New Testament. When the questioning Pharisee asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now that's right from Deuteronomy. But then Jesus goes on and expands it. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is justice in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we love our neighbor as yourself. Now from this we also see that when injustice is being done, we're not loving Yahweh correctly. When injustice is thriving and we're doing nothing, it means that we're not worshiping Yahweh correctly. And so what we're going to see is that Israel's injustice was just a sign of their false worship. That they had fake worship of Yahweh. So if we look as if Amos has not been clear enough already, we can go to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, and this is where we'll talk about the cows of Bashan going to read through chapter a little bit of chapter 4 starting in 315 
It says that God is going to strike and judge Israel exactly in the place where they have thrived, where they have prospered. He says, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this, you cows of Bashan, who are oppressed on the mountain of Samaria, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Now, if we can just get the effect of what Amos is saying, I mean, I'd love, it would be crazy if, I mean, band of sister ladies, how about if next band of sisters meeting, the title of the message was, You Cows of Bashan. I mean, how would that go over? I mean, I'd like to see Miss Maddie just let loose on it. I mean, that would not go well. But Amos is calling out these people for their injustice. For how they're sitting well, they're prospering, while everybody else is falling to the wayside. But that isn't it. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. <clears throat> Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside to the needy in the gates. Later on, the Lord is going to tell them that they turn justice into poison. The problem with Israel is that they had become so immersed in their culture and what their culture offered that the poor became tools for their prosperity. While they were busy getting ahead, other peoples were sinking lower. Now I wonder, just a very practical application, are we people like Boaz who set a portion aside of what we have so that other people can come? So that other people can maintain dignity? while we also do well? Are we people like Israel? We're so hungry for material things that every time we get a raise, we're trying to look for what we can buy next and not how much we can give away. It was somewhat funny. I was at Cabela's a couple weeks ago. Yes, I'm a consumer too. It happens. All of us are. But I was at Cabela's and there was a man that seemed like he frequented the play. He, he was there often because he knew the names of all the workers, and he was updating them on his personal life. And this man was talking about all these things he had bought. He, he actually had a heart attack, and he had to have a surgery, and so he had to sell some of his guns. But now he, he was back, he was healthy, those things. And so he was going back and trying to get back those guns and things that he had to sell when he had, the, had to have the surgery. And he was talking to the worker, and I was just standing there getting some things done. And he said, you know, I, I'm running out of things to buy, though. And I was, I was standing there, and for a while I'd stayed quiet, and I was, all the while I was thinking about something to say. But as soon as he said he was running out of things to buy, I just had to chime in. I said, well, I, I know a young family, a uh, married couple that's trying to get on their feet. You need, I mean, I, I, I could use some help. You want to <laughs> give out some? But he didn't find it as a worthy cause. He, said, he actually said that his wife had told him he could keep that money, so he was keeping it for himself. And I'm not just condemning this man, but I wonder what, what kind of people are we? 
What kind of people are we? Are we content? Paul said that he was content in all circumstances. In Philippians 4, it was, I'm, I'm content in plenty. I'm, complint, I'm content in when I'm lacking, abundance, need, either one, I'm good. Because Christ is Lord and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you constantly find your contentment in Christ and his lordship over your life? Or do you look for things? Are you constantly searching? What's next? What can I get? Are you hungry? Are you lusting after the things of the world? Because this is why Israel was judged. It was immersion into their culture. They looked just like the people around them, even these other nations. One book says, self-analysis forces us to consider that as citizens of the richest, most technologically advanced nation on earth, we ourselves might sometimes be the prospering wicked the false idolaters, and the oppressors of whom the Hebrew prophet spoke. Another practical thing. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those ill-treated as though you too felt their torment. Do you remember those in need? You know, it's kind of hard to remember those in need when our stomach is so full that we're about to uh, throw up or we can't move. And so there are things we can do. Do we want other people to have food so badly that we're willing to fast a day to pray that other people will have food? I wonder, what kind of people are we? When we become so busy, we don't even notice the poor and oppressed. This is injustice. If we don't think about it often, it's injustice. Now, it's not just about money. It is about action. And so I wanted to bring up the example. There's a, a ministry that started in New Orleans, through First Baptist New Orleans, uh, Inward Ministries. It's some ladies at the church and then other churches in the community have teamed up, and they go down to Bourbon Street into the, into the strip clubs and feed breakfast to strippers after their long night at work. They feed breakfast to them, and through that, some women have left that work. Some of them have come to church. And so it's not just about money and us giving. It's not just about that, but it is about action. There's a strip club less than a a mile from here. And so how are we showing justice to those around us? How are we showing them human dignity, love, worth? And I do want to say this is difficult. Some of you may say, oh, he's one of those guys after I say this. But our decisions have more global consequences today than ever before. And here's an example. Our youth group is able, and like many of you here, to send 30-something dollars a month so that a girl in Rwanda can have basic necessities, can have a Christian education, so that her family, when they fall on hard times, they can be provided for. We do that every month. A lot of you do the same thing. You've adopted children from far away and you just send money to provide for them. But also, just about every week, we also endorse a government that to this day has a man arrested because he spoke out for thousands of women who were being forced to have abortions and be sterilized. 
you know, I've, t- I've talked to several people about this sermon. Just what do we do? These are, these are global things. It's hard. You know, how can our decisions, everyday decisions, affect such global things? And, you know, I mentioned it to, to Byron. He didn't ask me to share this, but I do want to share this. He said that when he learned that, that Nike was using sweatshops, which sweatshops bring in eight-year-old kids to work for about 16 hours a day. Basically, they're, they're slaves. Nike was using the sweatshops to have all their things made, and when he learned that, he stopped buying from Nike. And I think Nike survived. I don't think they called Byron. But that isn't the point. We're not trying to shut down businesses. But as Christians, how are we to be just consumers? We have access to this type of knowledge. It's, it, it's on the news every single day, or we can look for it. But how are we to be faithful consumers? I don't, I don't know the answer, so I'm asking you if anybody has it afterwards, you can come to me. But... Our decisions have global consequences. Everyday decisions. And so how are we showing justice, poor and helpless, everywhere? Now again, I said earlier that their injustice was just indicative of their false worship. They weren't worshiping Yahweh. And so their second major sin that we're going to go to is religion with no relationship. This is in Amos chapter 2, again, where we began. Verse 8. They lay themselves down beside every altar on the garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So in their worship, they incorporated their own sin of injustice. But then in verse, chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. <clears throat> the, the problem with prophets, again, I said earlier, is that they're always so clear. They don't just say, you did this, but they detail it. They get really specific with your sins until the, where they cut at the heart. And this is why Israel, it says at one point in the book, they often kicked out their prophets or killed them because they didn't like what they were saying. So in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Amos says, from the Lord, Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. God is agging them on. They loved their worship services. They talked often of them. They were attended well. But every time, all these places are places of major worship places. They had built altars there. They were historical. They were where their, um, their patriarchs had worshipped. And so they would make pilgrimages to these places. And they thought, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is what he wants of us. But Israel said their worship just drove them further into sin. I wonder if the same is for us. Do we just come to worship to bring self-affirmation? God can't judge us. We're in church every Sunday. We're his people. He can't judge us. Again, Amos goes on. Verses 4 through 7 of chapter 5. 
Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but don't seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast righteousness to the, cast down righteousness to the earth, Seek me and lived is used three times in this, pl- in this passage. But instead, Israel continued to go on their pilgrimages, and they thought this was pleasing to the Lord. Beersheba is actually where Abraham and Isaac both lived, and it was a special place of worship where they actually built an altar. I want to finish this passage with one, la- one last passage that I think is, <laughs> again, Amos is clear. Uh, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. I can read these to you. Sorry for all the flipping. Um, I hate, this is Yahweh, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The problem with Israel's worship is it didn't have any work associated with it. There was no action. They still believed God would treat them the same. That the covenant was still good, even though they haven't been faithful to their covenant responsibilities. But, and so Amos at one point says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. Now, I want to give you several character traits of religion. Amos, this is clear from Amos. These are character traits of religion that that we need to think about. You speak and think often of your attendance at religious gatherings. You sing and think often of God's concern for you, but not for others. I think this is an issue in our culture. That we constantly sing about God's love for us, but I wonder if in the same breath we're thinking about people across the world who are suffering and oppressed, or down the street who are suffering and oppressed. Do we think about that? You find it easy to compartmentalize your faith, making some of your life sacred and some of it secular. This is what Israel did. It was worship and then it was all those other things. What that means, friends, is that some of you, you're trying to get by by making some of your life gods and some of it not, some of it not, but unfortunately that doesn't work. That just results in judgment. You're often offended by messages because they challenge your level of comfort. This is what happened to Israel. God sent them prophets and others in the past, but Israel chased them away. It says in chapter 3, verse 2, I'll read this to you. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. It was their covenant responsibilities they neglected and that they were being punished for. But also it says God had sent them Nazarites. They were holy men in Israel and also prophets. But it says you commanded the Nazarites to drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. They shut off voices that were uncomfortable. I think there are two main reasons that Israel was going to be judged. One, because they never asked God, is this pleasing to you? Is what we're doing pleasing to you? That's supposed to be a constant check in us. We come to worship every Sunday and it's easy to just get caught in the motions. But do we ask, God, is what we're doing pleasing? 
Are we doing all that you've commanded us to do? And then secondly, the voices who would speak to them and be honest with them about their sin they wouldn't listen to. And so why is this important for us? Well, we said that Boaz, he was a man who upheld the heart of the law. He recognized Israel as a place of refuge for the lost, for the orphan, for the widow, for the outsider. He recognized Israel as a covenant community. Well, friends, what is the church? A covenant community, bought by the blood of Christ. Friends, if the church is not a place of refuge, if the church is not a place who promotes justice, then we're not being God's faithful community. Now, I... I completely understand that we're bought by the blood of Christ. Anything we do is by grace. But James said also that faith without works is dead. And the same Lord who died for us also said this, and it's a long passage. It's from Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I tell you the truth, just as you did it for the one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Bear with me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed into the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was, I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not receive me as a guest, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. They too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not give you whatever you needed? Then he will answer them, I tell you the truth, just as you did it, did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will depart into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. The one who makes us righteous also commanded that we be a compassionate, kind, generous community of faith. The people of Israel, for the people of Israel, their actions just confirmed a false worship, fake worship. Their lack of justice confirmed it. And I wonder the same about us. Cross point. Individual members. What do your actions confirm about your worship? Is it real? We're taking every opportunity. Dangers for us. This is what happened to Israel, and so I want to bring these dangers home for us. We get caught up in the extravagance and busyness of our culture and don't live intentionally to work towards justice and righteousness. We create a religion that brings no pleasure to God. We deceive ourselves and we never ask God if he's pleased. And last, we establish a social gathering instead of a covenant community. We shut out the voices that hurt us. The voices 
that seem harsh. Do you think the prophets would have been comfortable to listen to, even for us? Even for us. Those voices would be difficult. And so it's important that we don't shut out those voices, but that we listen. And the warning is that if we're unfaithful, we reap the judgment of our own unfaithfulness. And so the invitation, the message this morning is, is your worship real? And you'll know. All you have to do is look at your life. That's all you have to do. Is your life characterized by God's grace? By His love for every person? Or is it characterized by you? What you desire? What you want? What you think you need? Christ's blood, His reconciliation of us to the Father means that we are to be to go. We're to be the heralds of justice. So, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask uh, Andrew to come up and lead us. And I really just want to give you an opportunity if, uh, to just think through your life, to evaluate. For some of us, this is just things we need to integrate more into our daily life. We never think think about the oppressed. We never think about that there are real people like this. <clears throat> For some of us, we need to evaluate and say, you know, my worship is fake. It has no influence on how I live when I go from here. I'm really trusting in it that it's going to get me by God's judgment and I'm not going to have to suffer that. <sighs> Don't do that, friend. Don't let your worship just affirm uh, your self-righteousness or whatever that may be. You can't escape. If you don't walk with God, you won't know Him. And you'll be judged. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your grace, Father, that You invite us to have relationship with You through Your own blood. Lord, we also thank you that you teach us how to live in this world, Father, to be compassionate, loving people, Father. Lord, sacrificial people. We pray that you would would give us wisdom. Lord, we pray, Father, that if our worship is fake, that you would guide us in repenting of that, Father, specifically repenting of how we've departed from your commands, Lord, and that we would return to you. Be with us this morning, Father. If there is a hard heart, if there is one who does not know you here, Lord, I pray they would come to repentance. Then all of us would be a faithful community. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lead me to the cross where you are.